We are in John chapter 20 this morning. John chapter 20. And happy Thanksgiving season to you. By the way, that song was written by a friend of mine and your pastor knew him in college as well. And uh, we're going to be talking more about Thanksgiving tonight. You'll see in the back of your bulletin. Is it on the back of the bulletin, Pastor? Uh, back of the bulletin? Uh, some notes that we're going to be for this morning's Thanksgiving message. And in about 30 seconds before the service, I felt like the Lord said, you need to do what you're doing at night in the morning and do what you're planning for the morning at night. So bring your bulletin back tonight and yourself back tonight for Thanksgiving 1456 B.C. That's what we're talking about uh, this evening. Now in John chapter 20, this is our fourth time with you. If you're new with us, we are the Shirley's and uh, we're almost complete. Got a daughter in Bible college away, but the Shirley family is Jerry and Kimberly. This is Jacob, and when it comes to the Shirley twins, of course, their goodness and mercy. Shirley, goodness and mercy. <laughs> Hello. Yep, all right. Aaron, his twin sister, Alyssa, is the one in Bible college. We're honored to be back with you this weekend. John 20 and verse 21 and when he, that's Jesus, had so said, he showed unto them his hands. That's verse 20. Verse 21, then said Jesus, that's Jesus, to them again. And let's read these words in red together aloud. Good and loud with me, please. Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so now I'm sending you. In other words, Jesus says, my mandate that Jesus gave me, he sent me with a mandate, I'm giving you that mandate. As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. His mandate is my mandate. Would you say that with me, please? His mandate is my mandate. Jesus said this to all of his disciples. But Jesus also said this to each of his disciples. The Father sent me, singular, so send I you. And so he says it collectively to them as a group, and he said it to Peter, to John, etc. Question this morning Are you a disciple? Say amen. amen. As a disciple, these words are for you as well. He says them to all of us, he says them to each of us. His mandate is our mandate. And so right now, picture Jesus walking up to you, placing his hands on your shoulders, looking you eyeball to eyeball and saying to you, using your name, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Now, this means that whatever the Father sent Jesus to do, Jesus now sends us to do. And here's the great news, if we are willing to obey His command in this charge, this mandate, then whatever the Father was to Jesus, Jesus will be to us. This is great news, because the Father sent Jesus to do something that He knew He could do. And Jesus is not now sending us to do something that He wonders, are they up to it? 
what the Father was to Jesus, empowering Him and using Him to do this, Jesus now is to us. His mandate is my mandate. Luke 19 and verse 10 says, The Son of Man was come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was His mandate. John 3.17 For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He was sent. 1 John 4.14 We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In each of these verses we see this word send because the Father sent the Son and then we forget that He then turned to us and said, so send I you. It says that He sent Jesus specifically to be the Savior. He didn't send Him to deliver the Jews from the Romans. That's what the Jews were looking for. That's what they were expecting. The Messiah is here to deliver us from this terrible oppression of the Romans. But He didn't just send Jesus to deliver them from the Romans. He sent Jesus to deliver them from their sin. Something far better. He didn't send Jesus to be a humanitarian, though Christ is the embodiment of compassion to those in need. He didn't send Him to be a teacher, though He gave great teachings. He certainly didn't send His Son to be a politician. Can I hear an amen this morning? Now let me just tell you briefly about a certain politician from the last election. This politician was part of the presidential election in 2016 in our little story. And uh, I don't want to take sides or anything like that, be partisan at all, so I'm not going to give you her name or talk about her husband or anything like that, okay? We're nonpartisan. Um, the politician said, I want to talk religion on a trip. I'm going on a trip, and on this trip I'm taking with me a couple of religious leaders. So she took with her a Hindu priest and a Jewish rabbi. Well, for some reason they're in a van. You can tell this is a true story, can't you? Their van breaks down in the country. They go to a farmhouse for help, and they have to stay the night at this farmhouse. So the farmer says, well, listen, you're welcome to stay here, you three, but I've only got two extra beds. One of you is going to have to sleep out in the barn. The Hindu priest says, I volunteer. So they all go to bed. Later, there's a knock at the door. The farmer opens the door. It was the Hindu priest. He said, I can't sleep out there. There's a cow out there. Uh, <clears throat> And in my religion, that cow is sacred. So the Jewish rabbi says, okay, I'll take your place. And so a few minutes later, uh, after they go to bed, there's a knock at the door. The farmer opens the door. It was the Jewish rabbi. He said, I didn't know there was a pig out there. That's an unclean animal in my religion. The politician says, good grief. What difference does it make? I'll sleep in the barn. So they all go to bed. A few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. The farmer opens the door. It was the cow and the pig. <laughs> so you can tell those jokes when you're a guest preacher and you can leave and just leave the pastor with all the trouble that remains behind. <clears throat> Have fun with that one. <laughs> I'm happy to report that certainly God didn't send Jesus to the world to be a politician. He sent Him to be the Savior. And if God thought that our biggest problem was the economy, He would have sent an economist. If He thought our biggest problem was entertainment, He would have sent us a comedian. 
he thought our problem was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But God perceived in his infinite wisdom that our greatest need involved our sinfulness, our alienation from him in our rebellion. And so he sent us a Savior to save us from our sin. And Christ's mandate is our mandate. This means that our job, our duty, our responsibility, and our privilege is to seek those that are lost, to help them meet the Savior. It's what it all came down to just before He left the earth as He gave us His great commission. Hey, what the Father sent me to do, I'm now leaving in your charge, so send I you. It's my mandate, not because I'm a preacher, but because I am a disciple. Because I'm a follower. Because I am a Christian. All the Christians in the house, raise your hand if you're a Christian. Yeah, that's how we ought to pronounce it. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus said, I must be about my father's, what? Business. His business is my business, Jesus said. And so I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, kindly but clearly this morning, no matter what your career is, your real job is keeping people out of hell. As this gentleman so wanted for his brother, as to pray for him for decades, we should want that even for our worst enemy, let alone our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our co-workers, etc. Your real business. You see, your workplace is how you provide for your family, thank God for that, while you do your main business of seeking the lost. So send I you. Great preacher of yesteryear, D.L. Moody, was never ordained. He was a shoe salesman who got a burden for souls. He started a Sunday school in Chicago, picking up boys and girls in horse-drawn carriages like a bus ministry. Now, preacher, I've heard of churches that say, we don't want to run buses because... They leave those oil spots on the parking lot. Can you imagine Moody's parking lot? Those little boys and girls were thankful for those horse-drawn carriages. One day, Moody witnessed to a hoodlum on the street, and, and as he witnessed to this hood, he got irate, the man did, threatened to punch Moody's lights out. He shouted, Why don't you mind your own business? Moody said, This is my business. Helping lost souls. And he walked away. Three months later, in the middle of the night, came a fierce knocking at Moody's door. It was that hoodlum. He'd been haunted day and night by Moody's words. He wanted to be saved. He soon became a leader in Moody's church. Soon was pulling one of those horse-drawn carriages himself. (laughs) Saw many others get saved right up till the Civil War began. He enlisted. He was one of the first casualties in the war. But not before he made God's business his business living for something bigger than himself, having a real purpose in life that's not just you wake up and you go to work, it's to come home and pay bills, to go to bed and do it all over again, over and over again. Oh, but you do get a break because eventually you die. His business is our business. We're affecting eternity. What a privilege that his mandate is your mandate, is my mandate. Number two, his mission 
is my mission. His mission is my mission. That is, Jesus' mission that he was sent on is my mission. So let's get specific now. What was Jesus' mission? First of all, it was to reveal the Father. To reveal the Father. You need not turn, but back in chapter 14 of this book, uh, they were asking Jesus, show us the Father. Reveal to us the Father. And you remember what Jesus said? You're looking at Him. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I and My Father are what? One. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we're all the same just in three personages. And so just as Christ's mission was to reveal the Father to them, it's our mission to reveal Christ. Because again, His mandate's our mandate. We're supposed to do what He was sent to do, which is reveal the Father. So we, re- we introduce them to Christ so He can introduce them to the Father. People are supposed to see Jesus Christ in us and then the Father through Him. And that's the point of Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but in such a way that it glorifies the Father. It reveals the Father in heaven. It's not all about you. It doesn't reveal your good works. It reveals the Father. One night, by her bedside, a little girl asked her dad, Daddy, how big is Jesus? Is he bigger than me? Her dad said, oh yes, darling. He's even bigger than Daddy. She looked puzzled. What is it, her dad asked. What, what, what's got you puzzled? She said, well, my Sunday school teacher said that I can have Jesus in my heart. But if he's that big... Won't he stick out? Now think now of the many people in your life. And you are the only Jesus they ever will see. You're the only Bible they'll ever hope to read. You know what I heard recently? It was convicting to my heart. No matter how poor of a Christian any of us might feel that we are, You're the very best Christian that somebody knows. There's somebody, and you're the only one they know. What a vast responsibility to be that sermon in shoes. And it's not us trying to be God. It was His idea. The Father sent me. I'm sending you in my stead to reveal the Father. Secondly, his mission was to redeem man. Now, obviously, we can't redeem anyone. And yet, his mission is our mission, which is to see man redeemed. Revelation 5.9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. You know, that word redeem means to buy back. Redeem. Buy back. Picture with me a slave market where a good-hearted master swoops in onto the scene and purchases a man, a slave, and after he does, says, you're free to go. You've been redeemed. Yes, I paid a price for you, but I'm setting you free. Now folks, I know that we're Baptists, but can I just say, I'm free! (laughs) Okay? All right, let's go back to being boring. 
<laughs> I'm free from the penalty of sin in the past. I'm free from the power of sin in my presence. Someday I'll be, in the future, free from the very presence of sin. Free from hell. Free from habits. Free in heaven. People today say they don't want to serve God. They want to be free. I don't want to serve God. I want to be free. Isn't it ironic? Because then they remain in their sinful ways, puppets of the devil, who continues pulling their strings. Doesn't sound like freedom to me. Sounds like the rebellious teenager who says, Mom and Dad, I don't want any more rules. I'm out of here. I'm joining the Marines. I'm going to be free. The only true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. John 8, 32, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. His mission is my mission, and I can't redeem a soul, but I sure can point them to one who can. His mandate is my mandate. His mission is my mission. Part of that mission, to reveal the Father, to redeem man. Number three, to raise up a church. To raise up a church. Now God has raised up a great church here. I take nothing away from it. It's a wonderful privilege anytime we get to visit here and see what God has done. But question, are you satisfied? Would you like to just stay the way that you are for the rest of your existence? Or would you like to see God really raise up a church? Do something mighty where no human could take the credit for it, where everyone is just in awe and trying not to mess it up and saying, look at what God has done to raise up a church. It was Jesus who said, upon this rock I will build my church. 1 Corinthians 3.9, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You are the church. Think with me of a construction site. Just as this building was at one time in the past a construction site, right? It was built one board at a time or one brick at a time, whatever. So, the real church is built one soul at a time. His mission is our mission, to raise up a church. Now folks, you've got a beautiful building. You've got wonderful programs. I would say you've got a good pastor, but let's just give it time. You've got a great pastor. I can't imagine how it could be better. And yet, lost people aren't flocking in. Now listen, I've read the Bible through many times. Even took a challenge this past summer to read it in 80 hours over about a 10-day period. That's like all day, every day. Um, and one thing I noticed... There is not one verse in the Bible that commands lost people to go to church. Not one. But there sure are a lot that slap me across the face as I read it. A lot of verses which command me to go out and bring them in. Because His mandate is my mandate. His mission is my mission. Now listen, if we're honest, it's hard enough just to get ourselves to church. And we want to be here. <laughs> right? Pretend, yeah. Okay. Hard enough just to get ourselves here faithfully. 
Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special events. If you've got kids, it's a major ordeal to get to this place. You with kids know you've got to start preparing on Saturday, right? In order for it to work out. There's always somebody who's not ready. Somebody whose hair isn't cooperating. Somebody forgot to brush their teeth. Somebody whose shoes are on the opposite feet. And as for that pretty pink dress on baby girl, well, this seems like the perfect occasion to unleash a record-breaking mudslide like history's never known. Right as you're walking out the door at our house, we had a two-year-old when these twins were born, so three in diapers. Listen, at our house over the years, it was a good thing we finally made it to church because we about lost our religion trying to get there. <laughs> what makes us think that just because we're open and put out a sign that says welcome that lost people are going to flock in? This is the genius of Jesus who said, what the Father sent me to do, so I send you to do. I'm giving you my mandate. I'm placing that mantle upon your shoulders. Take over for me in my absence. My mission is your mission, he says. Well, you're going to be the best illustration right now. Raise your hand if some other human was instrumental in bringing you to Jesus all across the room. Yeah. You didn't just find him all on your own, did you? Number three, his motive is my motive. We've got to do this for the right motive now. Our heart's got to be right about this. Jesus said, as the Father sent me. In other words, motive, as. In the same manner in which the Father sent me, so send I you. What was Jesus' motive? And then we're done. What motivated Jesus? I mean, though He was God, He laid aside the privileges of His deity to become fully man for us. He had human motives like we do. Hebrews, I think it is, says that He was subject to like passions as we are. He had motives. So what were His motives? Oh, and by the way, before we answer that, what motivated you, say, just to be here today? You could be sleeping right now. Some of you are. <laughs> That's why your pastor preaches so long. He, needs, he knows you need extra rest. So, um, extra rest. What was your motive for being here? Well, let, let's look at Jesus' motive for a moment. What was His motivation to reveal the Father, to redeem man, to raise up a church? Four things I find in Scripture. Four things. Number one, obedience. Obedience. Philippians 2.8 says, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, say it with me, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look this way, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm no great preacher. I don't claim to be anything special. But one thing I can tell you, my God sent me today to say one thing to you this morning. If you aren't going out after lost souls, you're not just missing a blessing, you're disobeying the clear command. It's why He didn't immediately whisk you away to heaven at the moment you were saved. There's a job to do! Is there not a cause, David said? 
We've got to stop playing church and get down to the real business, which is making His business our business till the day we die. Obedience. Now, I know you may have your own calling. We all have our own spiritual gifts, our own calling. We ought to practice that. You might be a singer in the church. You might be a teacher. Thank God if you work behind the scenes and not for any glory in the limelight. Thank you for that. But so send I you isn't a calling. It's a command. Just as those ten things listed in Exodus 20 aren't ten suggestions, they're ten commandments. So send I you isn't a calling. It's a command. Take my boy down here. If I tell him when we get home, son, take out the trash. What if he says, sorry dad, not my calling. Not your calling? Is that what you said? He's looking guilty right now, by the way. <laughs> what, pray tell, son, Jacob, is your calling? He says, uh, feels like watching TV and eating Cheetos. <laughs> no, son, you will take out the trash or you'll be standing up because you won't be able to sit on your calling anymore. Obedience to His divine command, His mandate, His mission. And do it with the right motive of obedience. Number two, a second motive, love. Love. You see, as I preach that obedience, some of our duty kicks in. Well, I guess I got to. And it's true, it is our duty. But isn't there a higher motive than just that? Because He first loved me. Let's not just sing the song, Oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. Let's really feel it in our hearts. Love. I love Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus is overlooking that valley there of the holy city, and He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. He came into His own. His own received Him not. He's looking down on them and loving them, just like He looked down on those Soldiers and others putting him to death while he was on the cross saying, I love you. Amen. Written in red. That's what he was saying there. He said it on this hillside outside Jerusalem. Thou that stonest them that which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. As he says this, I can see warm tears streaming down the loving face of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, here's our tragedy today. We're becoming a dry-eyed church in a hell-bent world. We've got to get the gospel outside these four walls and bring them in. Ye are the salt of the earth, but listen, we've got to get the salt out of the shaker. I wrote a book this summer and it's available out in the lobby. It talked about how I realized that I was becoming a light in a room full of lights <laughs> instead of being a light out in dark places. You know? Get that salt out of the shaker. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, Jesus said. We're becoming a dry-eyed church in this hell-bent world. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, 
my prayers are cold. But I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up. Cleanse me, I cry. Make my heart break. Let tears once again flow down my face for the souls of lost men. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed at the old-fashioned altar for God to ignite your passion? For God to help you to remember what it was like to care for lost souls? You remember what it was like to be lost yourself? I came to realize this summer that I don't love the lost like I should. And if you're like me, perhaps you don't love the lost like you should. Or else we would do what we could to reach them. We're more concerned with our comfort than with their conversion. We do more socializing than we do soul winning. We put more thought into intra-church politics than extra-church promotion. Now imagine with me a very wealthy person offering you $1,000 for every person that you witness to this week. No limit. You witness to 100 people this week. He writes you a check for $100,000. I'm so sorry to have to admit to you today that I'd be more motivated than I usually am. Be honest now, how about you? And isn't a soul worth so much more than money? Why won't we do for simple obedience and love what we would do for money? Two things quickly at the end. A third motive of Jesus was necessity. And this one's quick and easy. John 3, 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Yeah? Must. That's necessity. He had no plan B contingency. No alternate backup plan. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, there was no other way for mankind to be saved. The same is true for evangelism. God's plan is for people to tell people, and there's no backup plan. He won't send the angels to do it. He won't write it across the sky. It's God's way. It's the only way. And somebody asks, yeah, but what if we don't do it? We must do it. Again, it's a mandate. We've been sent on a mission. And let's have this motive of it's a necessity. Now we're kind of back to duty again. Don't forget that love. And so finally, joy. The final motive of Jesus should be our motive, which is joy. Remember again Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what church? 
joy that was set before him endured the cross. It was for the motive of that joy. Question, what was the joy that was set before him? What was it that Jesus Christ could peer into the future and see that helped him to endure that cross? What was that joy? And the answer is me. He saw me. He saw you. And though he died for the world, we know, biblically speaking, he would have died just for you. And that was the joy set before him. A soul saved. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You know what that second verse says? A look of love was on his face. Thorns were on his head. Blood was on his scarlet robe, stained a crimson red. And though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. And when he was on the cross, I... You, we were on his mind. 